if I was lied to about something this major, I wonder <laughs> if they lied to me about anything else. And boy, oh boy, that's when you open up and realize you're living in the matrix. Medical or otherwise, you begin to say, I've got I've to dig deeper to find out what's really going on. What is up, BA family, and welcome back to another episode of the Breathe in Air podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. I'm your host, Mason Bendigo. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Today, we live in a world where there is so much information being thrown at us that it's really hard to decipher about what is the truth. And I've always been a big proponent on doing your own research, being able to look at the facts, being able to look at what everybody is saying, what is being fed to you, and really going back to the data, to the details, to the minute things that people may look over if they just believe everything that they're told. It's not always easy to speak what you believe to be true. And especially when it comes to medical advice, there's been a lot of voices that have started to come out. And I, by no means, am a medical professional, but I always think that you should go and do your own research. And it doesn't matter if it's just medical. Anything that you have a strong conviction to be true. And sometimes those harder conversations tend to be on the medical side, political, religion, whatever it may be. If you have some type of conviction that what you know will help people, that what you know will help educate, that could possibly save lives, that could pave a way for somebody to have a better quality of life, and that comes from a serious place of love and not hate, and a real inclination and a real curiosity for the truth and what that really is, not just what's being told to us, but what we really believe to be true, what we know to be true, then I will always hold a space for those kind of conversations because they need to be had more and they need to be held to the utmost regard. And today's guest does just that. Mr. Robert Scott Bell is a homeopathic practitioner, an author, and an expert in the space of alternative medicine. He served on the board of the American Association of Homeopathic Pharmacists from 1999 to 2001. He is what I would like to call an OG podcaster as a keynote speaker, lecturer, educator. He has shared his expertise and practical experience with a broad range of audiences from the healthcare and wellness profession forums to national industry trade and consumer shows, addressing these in-depth topics and key insights from years in the holistic medicine industry. What I love about RSB is not only is he very educated, but he also comes from a place of knowing and experience. About 30 years ago, Robert came from a place where he was suffering from a multitude of chronic diseases and via homeopathy, herbal medicine, organic whole foods, minerals, essential fats, and really this transformation of holistic health, looking at health as a lifestyle. He was able to heal a multitude of these illnesses via this lifestyle transformation and never looked back. In fact, it just sparked his interest even more in how he can help others do exactly the same in a society like America where our health standards are continuing to decline. Without further ado, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you Mr. Robert Scott Bell. Mason could be with you. 
You know, I, I'm so old OG, you know, it was short for orange juice, but that doesn't even make sense. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm with you now. I get it. And yeah, I've been broadcasting, well, since 1999 on radio uh, before there was such a thing called a podcast, but uh, loving the fact that we can all reach out and, uh, you know, speak our truth and share our stories. Yeah, it's a, it's an incredible platform and one that you're definitely an expert in. So I'm excited to have this chat. Absolutely. I want to start off, though, with a saying, should I say, and I want you to tell me what comes to mind when you hear it. And saying is, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Mm -hmm. That's a great one. Uh, You know, for those that know kind of uh, more Eastern mindsets, they would talk about it in terms of uh, when the chila is ready, the master will appear, right? Utilizing language from the Far East. But the idea is, that if you have a sincere desire to learn something new or different, um, very often uh, a teacher, a guide, is, if not necessary, certainly can help you navigate some of the pitfalls of trying to explore a new area with no knowledge of it. And when you have been through, for instance, in my life, 24 years of chronic disease from zero to 24 years of age, or shortcut a little bit zero to like 1819 when I finally figured out that modern medicine and all of its trappings that it was given to me since I was a baby between shots and drugs and surgery were a dead end street and that I would never recover. I would probably die of cancer in my 40s if I would make it to my 40s. Uh, there was an uh, a prayerful moment among many that said, God, please help me. I just realized that these doctors are going to kill me. Not that they mean to or anything. They're nice and they don't mean what, but they don't know what they're doing when it comes to me. So can I please have some help? (laughs) How about some healing? Uh, And it didn't come in the uh, guise of a lightning bolt from the sky and a miraculous healing. It came in as it relates to your question in the form of a teacher that appeared four or five years after my petition, my help, please help me. And after studying more spiritual uh, focal pointed uh, grounding in the principles of life itself and how it all operates and works that I was then able and be, I was opened to be able to accept a homeopathic doctor in my life because I had never heard the word homeopathy. He had come from Belgium, emigrated to America. So it would have been a foreign concept and I would have just brushed it aside. I had to be prepared for that teacher to appear when I would be ready. And that's the short version of what happened, but it's a great, great saying and it's very true. Yeah. For those who are listening who don't know what a homeopathic doctor is or homeopathy in general, what is that and what is the difference between your normal traditional medicine that you see today? Well, we talk about modern medicine um, as being allopathic, which is kind of a, you know, we go to Latin words and root words, understand that to work against, to fight against, to suppress, for instance. And Modern medicine, which I grew up with in a medical family, my dad was in the pharmaceutical industry, my uncle was a medical doctor, uh, they work with what we call patent chemistry, patent chemicals, usually from petrochemicals, but it's expanded since the early 20th century or the late uh, 19th, uh, basically that you know works and says, here you have a symptom, let's give you a substance or a drug to suppress or get rid of the symptom, not concerning itself or yourself with why the symptom is there or what might be causing it. It's just manage it. Now, that has its merit in terms of life-saving interventions with acute trauma injury. Or if you've been on a battlefield and you're shot with a bullet and you're bleeding out, it's quite 
quite profound how life-saving that can be. Yeah. Although, interestingly enough, um, you can utilize some substances like silver that apparently are, have great controversy when you talk about them in the colloidal state, but yet they use silver nitrate as a, a, a caustic agent that could stop a wound from bleeding out. Interesting chemically and, and interesting how that works. But so when we have allopathic medicine, I, I write about in Unlock the Power to Heal, a book I wrote with Ty Bollinger. In 1910, there was something called the Flexner Report that came out. It was a preordained commission report sub, uh, funded by the Rockefeller and Carnegie Foundations to establish one form of, of medical curricula in medical schools and el- exclude all others and, and relegate that to what they call quackery. So if the schools were going to teach patent petrochemical medicines, then they would be funded, they would be endorsed, they would be accredited. If they were teaching homeopathy or naturopathy or herbalism, anything like that, they would be relegated to the ash heap of medicine to be called crazy quackery out of the main, not real, not scientific. And so by the time the mid-20th century came, very few people knew what a homeopath was, much less homeopathy. Now we go back into homeopathy and we say it precedes that by a lot of years. In fact, um, in 1844 in the United States, the American Institute of Homeopathy was founded uh, because homeopathy was a mainstay of, of medicine in America in much of the 19th century. Following the late 18th century and early 19th century, the development of this form of medicine by Dr. Samuel Hahnemann out of Germany, a physician of his day who realized that the medicine that he used, like mercury, uh, bloodletting, other things, were so devastatingly dangerous that it would likely kill a patient faster than the disease would. And wow. so he developed a system of like cures like, or the law of similars, where we take substances of the natural world, whether the plant, mineral, or animal kingdom, that would normally cause symptoms to occur, right? You can ingest them or expose to them, and you'd see symptoms manifest. But he took those substances and used serial dilution, in other words, steps of dilution, and in between each step of dilution, he would succuss, or, or I'm sorry, or shake the uh, the remedy, if you will, or the substance that would be altered via this dynamization process. So if I was to take an herb, even a mushroom, you know, and uh, shake it a hundred times and then take a dilution of that. Now, from a uh, allopathic, modern, Western view, it would be ridiculous because all you're doing is diluting something until it's not there. And what could that do? So it was met with great derision by the allopaths who were what we call molecular reductionist. Now, I don't know if this is getting too technical, uh, Mason, for the audience, but I think it's a it's a fair question to ask yeah, to try yeah. to give you the mechanics of this because it's quite different a- a- in terms of how the medicine is utilized, how it's made, other things. Now, we don't synthesize it and alter it in terms of organic chemistry, like they take oil-based substances and mess with their chemistry and manipulate them in ways that God didn't, but man can now. Right. So it just takes those substances via serial dilution and succussion, shaking, diluting, shaking, diluting, to the point where if I had a tenfold step of dilution each time and I did that 10 times, we would call it a 10x. To give you an equivalency in dilution level, it would be one part per 10 billion of the original substance. So arguably, it's safe. Yeah. One part per 10 billion of most things are like, you can drink the whole bottle. You're not going to poison yourself. So unlike allopathic medicine, where a drug taken even appropriately can kill you, Occasionally it does. The homeopathic remedies cannot kill you, cannot harm you. So they are relegated to quack medicine because according to certain uh, allopaths, if it can't kill you, it's not real. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's weird. It's not real medicine because you can't die from it. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, So it's a different form of medicine because Hahnemann said, I don't want to kill my patients. I don't want to harm my patients. I want to honor the Hippocratic Oath. First, do no harm. 
So by utilizing these naturally occurring substances through the light cures like concept, if you had, for instance, uh, uh, a rash, a skin rash, you might go to a remedy called Rus toxicodendron, which is the Latin name for poison ivy. And yeah, if you rub poison ivy on, you're going to have a rash. But they converted the poison ivy via the process I just described for ingestion and or topical use, and they found out it reversed it. But not only that, it didn't have to be poison ivy. It could be a mysterious eczema of some kind. And other symptoms that associate with poison ivy include stiffness of the joints. Interestingly, so rust tox became a remedy that was often indicated for arthritis. Hmm. You weren't harming the liver or the kidneys or the colon with the, the medicine, but you were addressing a symptom in the like cures like fashion, not by suppression, but by they they argued stimulating the vital force of the body to correct something that was not going right. Now, it's a bit esoteric because it doesn't meet the molecular reductionist view that you have to have powerful chemistry, chemicals and chemistry to explain a chemical interaction that altered this pathway that suppressed this or forced this from happening. It's different. And so. Maybe they never meet the allopaths and the homeopaths. But now we're finding in the era of COVID, more allopaths are became, becoming open to all forms of natural remedies, medicines, herbalism, and homeopathy. And that was just one small example of uh, homeopathy as a, as a medicine. And it's regulated as a, a sanctioned drug product since the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act of 1938 passed in 1939. They grandfathered the pharmacopoeia. So it actually is a drug system, although it's non-toxic and has no side effects. But it's it's looked on with derision by a lot of those that are medically trained because they don't understand it or they believe that if it if it's not there in quantity, it can't possibly do anything. But of course, we know now with technological advances, um, what we call nanopharmacology is very real. You know, very minute substances on the nano scale, very hardly there, have a great impact on metabolic functions at a deep, deep level. So the homeopaths were onto something long before we had the technology to validate it. Um, but a non-toxic safe way to address many ailments or illnesses topically, internally, et cetera. And that's probably a longer version than you wanted to know, but there you go. You asked it. No, it's incredible. I, I love the in-depth answer and the explanation and the history behind it, because I think it's important to, to know that and understand mm -hmm. where we have come from. And you mentioned a little bit in there, you know, in the early 1900s where there was almost, you know, a, a curriculum that was said, Hey, this is how you have to teach this now. Have we seen that continue to grow where there's only a certain curriculum that is pushed in our systems today and other, you know, even scientific studied and proven hypotheses are now, you know, shunned and looked down upon? Well, we, we've seen uh, discussion and debate we, even within or shouting down, even within the allopathic uh, paradigm with COVID, for instance, physicians that dared to say, hey, there's a couple of old drugs here, uh, like hydroxychloroquine or, or a little bit newer one, uh, ivermectin, that are working for our patients, along with zinc and, and vitamin C and different things. And, and rather than being embraced by the medical community at large because they were having 100% success rate in COVID treatment, they were derided as now also quacks or crazy or out of their mind. They're not real doctors. They're not real scientists anymore. And you know, so it's not just an attack on homeopathy anymore. It's like the wrong form of allopathic medicine can get you, you know, tagged and, and, and shouted down. Uh, but the medical school curriculum since the Flexner Report of 1910 is still in full force. If you talk to any doctor coming through medical school, there are very few courses in nutrition. Some would measure the amount of nutrition education within a medical school curriculum uh, by hours, you know, a few hours maybe. 
some none, but it is, of course, an absurd notion that we can't heal the body with adequate nutrition when we know that inadequate nutrition can bring about disease within the body. Hmm. And that doesn't indicate the need for a toxic poison to respond to. I mean, the idea that you can poison the body back to health is a little, I don't know what the word is. I don't want to be offensive to anybody, but I could talk to a fourth grader and say, Hey, do you think it's a good idea if you're sick that I give you poison to make you all better? <laughs> you go, no, that's stupid. Why would you do that? But that's much of what our medical community with a little bit, albeit more technology and better PR does. And outside of allopathic, uh, you know, validity to interventions with warfare, medicine, trauma centers, that kind of thing. Uh, it just doesn't make sense long term. And that's where we're at a crossroads in our culture in the West about what form of medicine do we need moving forward? Or can we all work together to find mm. the best of everything? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yes. It seems like, you know, you, this hits home for you in, in certain ways and your background, you know, you overcame numerous chronological diseases at a young age to kind of lead you into this path. Tell us a little bit about what that was like and what you learned along the way with your findings and your own experiences there. Yeah, well, the chronic diseases were also chronological. That's true. <laughs> they, they happened year after year after year. and They didn't get better. Uh, you know, 10 years of allergy shots for, for various allergies I had since I was a child and gastrointestinal disorders from the day I was born. Uh, musculoskeletal inflammatory conditions, tendonitis as a child, uh, skin rashes, skin conditions, ear infections, sinus infections, throat infections, intestinal infections, all these things met with antibiotics, various drugs and steroid hormone drugs. And what a mess. And even surgery at certain points. So yeah. uh, growing up through that, not knowing anything different, you just kind of you keep going until one day you find out maybe those uh, treatments were not appropriate. And yet, if you're told that's the only thing that's legitimate, you, you know, you're, you're kind of closed down to anything that, you know, might be considered herbalism or homeopathy or natural. Because the, the medical profession has unfortunately been programmed to believe that and promote that. So it was a, you know, a long journey to ultimately find homeopathic medicine and detoxification methods to help my liver, remineralization techniques with uh, whole food supplementation, uh, going organic. And of course, now that also means non-GMO, non-genetically modified. And within a couple of years of intense work with the remedies and other things and my dietary shift, I was able to undo about 24 years of chronic disease in about two wow. years. And, uh, you know, now I'm in my mid fifties climbing on up. I don't know when you get to be called late fifties, but whatever. I'm, I'm <laughs> things. I have levels of fitness that I didn't have even in my twenties where I was suffering from fatigue, even though you know, I did, I was an athlete as a young kid. I played a lot of soccer and different sports. And then because I was diagnosed with tendonitis of the knees, the doctor said, you can't play soccer anymore. Why don't you take up swimming? Which I, it did. It gave me an outlet uh, to uh, be able to still be somewhat athletic, but not have the same kind of intense gravity kind of uh, damage to my joints. Yeah. So I excelled at that, swam through uh, my collegiate years, even coached swimming after that for a little bit at the collegiate level and enjoyed it. But still lingering chronic diseases were always uh, with me. And, you know, I had to take medicines and all kinds of things just to get by. But you see that human mind is pretty impressive. It can overcome a lot. Um, even, you know, look at Michael Phelps. You know, I was certainly no Michael Phelps, but here's a guy with severe asthma with an inhaler 
and he becomes the world record holder in so many events. So our, it's not just the body, but it's the mind and the spirit also that helps us to overcome things. Uh, but yet I realized long term, if I didn't address all of these things that, that were ailing me, that I would be in trouble in middle age if I made it to that because of my uh, grandparents and aunt, some aunts and uncles had various uh, diseases, a lot of them with cancer, uh, dying later, 60s and 70s, if you will. And I thought I can put the math together here because I knew from my experience with them and asking them questions about their childhood, none of them were sick growing up. My dad, but he wasn't sick growing up. If he had a cold or a flu, when his friends did once in a while, it'd be like a couple of days down and they're back at it like nothing happened. Right. But chronic diseases, always being allergic to things, inflammation, joint pain, all of that. No, none of that. So I said, I, I don't think this is a good future for me if I don't figure this thing out because I was sick from the day I was born. And these people in my ancestry died in their 70s, 60s of cancer. So I'm like, this is not good. And and that was part of my journey, which we shared briefly how it led to the, the teacher appearing when, when the student was ready. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, uh, you know, the journey I was on. And it continued because as I asked questions of, of what I didn't know or what I was lied to about in health and healing, I couldn't limit my questions to that. And I began to ask questions about everything. If I was lied to about something this major, I wonder <laughs> if they lied to me about anything else. And boy, oh boy, that's when you open up and realize you're living in the matrix. <laughs> Medical or otherwise, you begin to say, I've got I've to dig deeper to find out what's really going on. Yeah. No, you open a, a big can of worms there once you once you start lifting up the covers a little bit. Why do you think that chronic diseases are rising today? I mean, I know that we have a a wave of people such as yourself and others in the industry and in the space that you know might have been exacerbated a little bit by COVID that are starting to question some of what we had typically believed and looking at health mm -hmm. in a different way, a more holistic way. But why is it that chronic illnesses are rising in today's society? Well, I, I would say something first, very controversial for some of your audience. I think number one on the list are vaccinations. You know, vaccines are the gateway drug to lifelong dependent, lifelong dependency on, on drug interventions for the symptoms and ailments and illnesses and diseases that they actually cause under the guise of trying to prevent what they call diseases of childhood often. You know, whether you, you name it and we can talk about it if it's of interest. But I'll just say this, that without acknowledging the role of these childhood rites of passage and the fact that in healthy children, they really don't die from any of those things. And in fact, I would argue that if you look back in history, even, you know, they always say, but what about polio? If you actually studied the, the medical text at the time, they recognized that it was mostly due to DDT poisoning. It was a toxicological event. Uh, that resulted in neurological paralysis, but only in what a, a fraction of a percentage of all the people that were supposedly exposed to the polio, what they called a virus. You know, if you if you think about if you're to say a polio virus causes paralysis and but it only causes it in less than one percent of the people, a fraction of one percent of the people that are exposed to it. How do you say it's the cause of it when ninety nine point nine percent of the people that are exposed to it don't get it or become paralyzed? Uh, we tend not to look back at history and ask those tough questions. Uh, one of the books that will help maybe open up some of your, some of the listeners of viewers' eyes to that is uh, Dissolving Illusions, a book by uh, Suzanne Humphreys, friend of mine, Dissolving Illusions. But I, I say that maybe as a wake-up call to everybody that, that is now finally awake and aware that maybe the, these shots are not all they're cracked up to be, 
because of COVID and COVID response, the emergency use authorization mRNA injections that has caused many physicians that never would have questioned one vaccine to question not only the mRNA injections, but many others now preceding it because they, they came to the same conclusion, some of them. They said, you know what, if I was lied to about the mRNA shot, I wonder if I was lied to about anything else back in the whole history of vaccinology. Hmm. And so many physicians have woken up and said, I'm never again going to give this to anybody, much less my family or patients or myself. And, and so um, we can go further into that, but I'll also say, the degradation of the food supply since World War II, primarily when they used all those chemical munitions that were used to make bombs, suddenly were in abundance. And we got to, what do we do with all of this now? We want to sell it to somebody. And they had the bright idea of, like, let's throw nitrogen in the soil. And look, the plants are growing so fast and big. It's amazing. And, and yet it was uh, an imbalance to the soil that created plants that looked healthy, but were susceptible to pest infestation. And of course, since the dawning of the 20th century and better living through chemistry, we see the rise of poison. That is, we see bugs. We have toxic poisons that now we can use. We used to use it to kill people. Now we can use it to kill bugs. And so they add that to the food supply. Mm. And we end up with chronically deficient food. In other words, minerally deficient food and proficient in things we don't have a, a need for. That is toxic, poisonous, cancer causing chemicals from the likes of Dow, DuPont, Monsanto at the time, and others. And so all of these things lead to the deficiency syndrome, which is not just abject uh, beriberi or scurvy, like vitamin C they call deficiency, but subtle over long periods of time deficiencies of key minerals, vitamins, trace elements, et cetera, that cause metabolic dysfunction that manifest as symptoms or diseases, chronic, not acute, not like an acute infection or you, you hit your toe with a hammer. I don't know why you do that. <laughs> right. Like, whoa, explosion of inflammation and pain, but that's acute. And then it goes away. You recover. We're talking about things that linger and don't go away. I was the canary in the coal mine of my generation, Gen X, uh, having all of the chronic ailments that are also common in Gen Y and Z and beyond that they're born into chronicity. I was the rare one at the time and my parents said, like, who is this? Why well, does this happen? That never happened to us. And now it's become more commonplace, especially with kids that are partially or fully vaccinated. And as I've traveled around the world as a homeopath, meeting doctors and, and patients around the world, the only healthy kids I see are the least vaccinated or the not vaccinated at all kids in terms of chronicity. That's your question about chronic illness. Now, acute response, acute disease, infectious disease. Uh, yes, there's a place for modern medicine and antibiotics, but we've overblown the use of those to the point where there's so much resistance that they don't even work anymore. So I utilize things like silver and copper and different homeopathic remedies that I can address infectious acute manifestations and never have to resort to potentially the antibiotics. Case in point, my children, 23 years of age, my son, 17 and a half, my daughter, they've never once been vaccinated, nor have they had an antibiotic, and they don't have any of the ailments and illnesses I grew up with and my wife grew up with. In one generation, we've corrected it, so it's not genetic. Mm. Any more than it was genetic when it manifested in me and it hadn't manifested that way in any of my ancestors, at least at the time, uh, I, I think inevitably I would have had cancer and, and more later on in life if I hadn't made the switch I did food wise and other things. Yeah, no, absolutely. You mentioned kind of the degradation of the soil, the food that we're eating, the minerals, you know, us being mineral deficient. We've seen in men specifically too a large percentage of a decrease in testosterone for males. 
even yeah. starting to see some studies around fertility as well. Is that a piece of why that is happening to the male population specifically, or what's kind of behind that, do you think? Well, a key part of it is the mineral deficiency. Without minerals, we can't produce the things, including the endocrine compounds, the hormones as well, uh, that are necessary for production, for instance, of testosterone adequate for a male. Uh, but we look at also the um, the xenoestrogens, you know, the different things from pesticides, plastic, exposure to plasticides, even, you know, the, the, the heat uh, sensitive receipts that are everywhere. You pick them up, you don't even think about it, and you're getting xenoestrogens. These are uh, synthetic estrogens being absorbed through your skin. Uh, so there's a lot of things that are causing men to become effeminized, if you will, uh, because of the chemical exposure. Now, that also depletes certain minerals that protect us, like selenium as well. And um, the fear of fat as well has as been another great detriment to our endocrine uh, integrity. So when we were told in the 20th century that cholesterol caused heart disease, which is a lie, uh, we started eating low fat, no fat, or fake fat. What a disaster that was. It was a chemical crab storm that we were consuming, and it created uh, it, more endocrine imbalances because cholesterol is critical for the production of our, our, our sex hormones, testosterone, estrogen, and, and progesterone. And even men have all of those, but obviously in a different balance than women, but with all of the estrogenic uh, exposures in food, you know, chemically grown and produced food and the wrapping in plastic all every day. So we've created a scenario where we've compounded the mineral and other fat deficiencies and made even worse because we're getting direct exposure to these estrogens. And some of that happens like in the milk and meat production where they've, they've done artificial uh, hormone injections to uh, ramp up fat in these, these animals uh, for, for market to make better profit in a faster time. And even the antibiotics create, uh, abnormalities in terms of uh, endocrine or hormone production, uh, testosterone inclusive. So the use of antibiotics has also played a role there. So th there's a not just one answer to your question, right. but they're all related and they are definitely uh, problematic. In addition to the programming of the male to say, don't be masculine because it's toxic, which is a you know a horrible message to, to, to men or boys that they can't be who they are supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. You had mentioned um, earlier, you know, your connection with spirituality and kind of viewing health as a holistic practice, something that it's not just about the foods you put in the, into your body. It's also about the mindset and the way that we connect mm -hmm. to nature and, and, you know, people that we love and into our purpose. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about, you know, how you approach that and what was that like? When did you come to this realization that everything was connected? Well, I, I would have to say one of the most significant events in my life is in, when I was in sixth grade and I, I choked on a piece of felt <clears throat> to the point where I passed out and I ended up in a near with a near-death experience, an NDE they call that, ended up out of my body in a most beautiful place, more real than anything here. Wow. Uh, I could describe it in depth and I know the feeling of everything about it. And I then I came back, uh, knocked back to life. And uh, never forgot that, realized that not just theoretically that uh, I am not my body, uh, but that I inhabit a body while I'm here and that I'm a spiritual being and we all are having human experiences while we're here. And so that was a profound impact in terms of a sense that I had about life, but kind of gave me a validation to that. Now, um, how does that mean in terms of orthodox religions? I guess everybody's got to answer that in terms of their experience if they're satisfied and happy with where they are. So I don't tend to try to dissuade people from whatever they believe if it makes them happy and it fulfills them. But if it doesn't, dig deeper and, you know, find a way to experience, just like I experience um, the physical body by physically exercising it, you know, as an athlete, despite my chronic ailments, 
um, we often overlook the need to exercise spiritually, whether it be prayerful, meditation, contemplation, um, singing or chanting of sacred words, whether they be uh, from the traditional Judeo-Christian religions or, or Eastern Orthodox or other Eastern religions that might be a little bit esoteric to those in the West. But whatever sound or vibration that can uplift you and open your heart to guidance and, and what I call divine love. And so that was part of my process, as I talked about before, I was ready to accept a healer that wasn't a doctor in my life, that I had to really break free of some of my, my preconceived notions about things. Mm. And uh, whether you call it divine spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Eck, whatever you call it, it has the ability to break break you free of those preconceived notions to help you stay connected to the source of all wisdom and all healing, which is uh, our divinity and you know, that which we were perceived as God, people have different names for it and developing a strengthening a relationship in an ongoing way so that you're constantly being guided, not just when you're in a foxhole being shot at by foreign enemies, but even when you're just walking down the road or doing whatever in a mundane world at a certain time that you're always connected to that guidance. And so that's practice, just like we practice physically to gain uh, you know, excellence in any endeavor we do in athletics. I say that in terms of our spirituality as well. Mm, absolutely. You mentioned preconceived notions and almost, you know, I look at it as subconscious programming, whether through our own fault or not, we're all programmed in one way or another through our experiences and the lens that we've lived our life. You know, the people that were around us at a very young age. So how does one realize, okay, Maybe I need to take a step back and start seeing if these viewpoints of life and the way that I view things are are really my own. And then once they've realized that, how can they break free from these preconceived notions and start building their own opinions and viewpoint on life? Dude, you asked some good questions here. <laughs> I don't think I signed up for this. Okay, no, I, I'm, good. I'm good. I'm good. I enjoy it. Thank you, Mason. That's a good yeah. question too. Um, you know, th th it's a very valid thing. And, and it's, you, you look back on your life and you say, was that my belief system or was that programmed into me? And, you know, I, I, I believe so wholly in freedom. And some would call that agency because I believe, you know, in addition to the gift of life itself, the greatest gift we have, right alongside that is the freedom that is also endowed within us. And that's, I believe, from God, agency, freedom. And, you know, I look at so much of our, experience being subconscious or unconscious. Like we do things because this is how we were raised. This is what we were exposed to. And everybody's had a different path there. And if it's working for you, you know, you don't question it. At a certain point, you might look at your life and go, I'm just not satisfied. Something's not right here. You know, you might call it divine discontent. And then you start questioning your beliefs, the things that you thought you believed and questioning, are they really mine? And you might put those beliefs to the test and say, do they work for me? Then they're mine. I adopt them consciously uh, or, you know, that's not working for me anymore. And, I, you know, for me, uh, I was always asking questions. So I, I had that inclination even before I woke up to the medicine thing we talked about earlier. And it led me to, to look for paths that are experiential that could give me tools or a toolkit that I can utilize in my life to put things to the test. Not because I wanted to annoy people, but because I wanted to really find out how, how the world works and how would I interact with it so I could be better at what I now call co-creating, if you will, life, being a co-worker with God, if you will, yeah. being on a path where, um, you know, the guidance you're getting is, some would say, not my will, but thine, but yet they align, right? Some people will, will deny their 
desires. You know, they're here for a reason. It's like, I want to do this. I want to achieve this. And then someone will tell them, well, that's not a worthy goal. That's not a worthwhile goal. Well, who are you to tell them that if they've come here to do that? Was this a you know, pre-assignment pre, pre that they met with God or whatever and said, hey, I want to go down here and have this experience. And because my experience is different and I don't need that, I tell you, you can't have that. That's wrong. And so there's a lot of that that goes on in terms of programming, right? Con consciously, but subconsciously. And parents do this to our to their kids, our kids. We don't even know half of what we do because we brought, we didn't know we did it or where it was. Right? <laughs> right. So the, the break the cycle, if you will, uh, there is a, a point where perhaps divine discontent as well. You, you're at a point where like uh, uh, something's not right. And then you begin asking questions. Now, I find that sincerity is important. You know, if you if you petition God or a creator to have a sincere desire to to learn, to know, because what you are going to get likely is not what you think or thought. It may come in a different package and you might not recognize it unless you, you know, say, please help me to open my eyes and ears to see beyond what, you know, we talk about the ancients that didn't even know what a boat was, you know, in, the, in primitive cultures. And then there's boats out in the sea. They can't even see them because there's no there's no frame of reference for it. And, and sometimes, you know, our consciousness is limited. There's so much more to, to life itself until we have an experience that breaks us of a, a belief system. Like if anybody doesn't believe they exist beyond their body uh, because they've never had an NDE, it might just be a theoretical belief as opposed to an actual experience. And, and I say that not to convince you or anyone else of my belief, but just to share with you, this is what I believe and this is why. Uh, and it's okay if you believe differently than me. That's not a bad thing or a wrong thing. But I, I enjoy the journey and learning so much from others' experiences as well that to me it adds to the experience that we have here. But some people don't like the differences and distinctions. And they want everybody to be like them or the same belief. And I, I find that um, kind of belies the creation itself of all of us that we are a unique individual mm -hmm souls and we have a journey here that's unique even though we intersect from time to time and i would hope that we'd work together for the benefit of each other if possible but i i think it is but so much of our world looks at life in a in a poverty state of consciousness mm -hmm. like i got to get mine because there's not enough to go around we we are played and deceived by that yet <laughs> creation itself is so abundant if we tap into that we don't look in terms of poverty we look in terms of man there's so much what do I do with it all? You know, and then you find out, wow, life shifts when you have a, a different view like that. And what happens is extraordinary. And you can't necessarily do it in a mathematical equation because it's so much more than that. Mm. Abundance mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's something that I didn't learn until later. You know, you, you, you have and hear a lot about the perspective of, you know, there is a shortage, there's a scarcity of success that can go around. And when you realize and flip the perspective that there really isn't, you know, it, it not only makes you the biggest cheerleader of everybody in their own right, it propels you to levels that you've never even imagined were possible. Oh, beautifully said. Yeah. It's been my experience as well. And I'm still learning about it. I think there's still more to go, uh, but it's fun. That's the fun part of it. Despite all the things we can look around and go, man, this sucks. That sucks. And, uh, the reality is it's by design that we have this freedom, this agency to choose. In fact, I look back at some of the choices I made. They aren't the best now. I look back and I, I was stupid. I'm sorry I did. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't know. But it, it allowed me to learn indelibly. Now, if we're really smart, we can learn from others' choices. Preferably. And sometimes we can, but sometimes we can't. Sometimes we like insist, no, 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 I need the experience. I need to if we're conscious or not, I need to prove this to myself. And then you come to it in your own time, in your own way, even though others would say, well, I, 
I could have, I could have told you, I tried to tell you, but you need it. Sometimes you need the experience. And I think we're here for experience. Hmm. And, and, and it's like, I don't know what your experience is or what you need. I'm not so, so, uh, you know, I don't, I know some stuff I do, but I don't know everything. And I certainly don't know what's right necessarily for you. Now, someone comes to me for help with healing and things. I have a lot of experience to help you to do that. And I'm not, I can't do it for you at the same time, but if you have sincerity, the same thing, somebody comes to me with a sincere heart, open heart and question, I'm going to help them. I've just, I've set myself up to do that. I like to do that, but you begin to find out there are people that say they want something, but they don't really. And that's kind of a discernment over time that you get. Sometimes that just takes time to learn, you know, as you're studying for years or interacting with people for years, you begin to see that. And I think in the same way that I petition God, you know, God knows whether we're sincere or not. And it doesn't need more experience with that. It knows immediately. We need the experience to understand, you know, about sincerity, whether we're asking sincerely or something is being asked of us with sincerity. Mm. And uh, that can determine how we will interact with folks that will would drain us of our life force or that which would add to our life force as well. Yeah. The life force protecting that and knowing, you know, what's serving it versus taking from it, whether it's person, place, thing. I mean, you name it, right? It's either giving or sucking one of the two. I want to talk. So it's a journey. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I want to hear a little bit about, you know, how you got into, podcasting and radio in general, because we've heard a lot over the last three, I mean, even a couple of years, you know, there's been a rise in podcasting and this platform in general, but you've been doing it for such a long time. Why did you start and what prompted you to get into this? Well, I had an interview in 1994, uh, scheduled for be an hour on radio on a 50,000 watt station in Atlanta. Again, 1994 was and, you know, I was already a homeopath and it was an intriguing topic and was invited on. It turned out four hours later, we were, you know, we we're still going strong. The switchboard was lit up. This is radio, right? It took calls and everything, talk radio. And I thought, oh, that was interesting. That was an interesting experience. I was relating things that I had learned that most in America had not learned yeah. at that point. Some of it was very controversial, including, you know, I brought up the fact that HIV is not the cause of AIDS. Oh, man, that really got the switchboard hot, you know. <laughs> Uh, and, 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 you know, talked about the cancer cures, like, no, there are no cancer cures, uh, yet there are. And, uh, also talked about vaccines. All of these things were so controversial then more so than even today. And, uh, so it was just planted a seed in the back of my mind. It's like, oh, that'd be interesting one day. That could be kind of cool. So in 1999, we started a, a weekly radio show in Atlanta and it really took off. It's called jumpstart your health. And a few years later got syndicated. Uh, national syndication and radio. This is again, there was no such thing as a podcast at the time. And it, you know, even that, the, w- what I did, if you look back, people would say, well, that's impossible. How did you do that? I'm like, well, I didn't know it was impossible maybe. <laughs> and so I didn't invest in what was impossible. I just said, well, this is what I need to be doing. Let's do it. And of course I'm talking about natural medicine and other things in ways that no one had ever heard in media. And I, I, I had a conscious thought that because I didn't know this I wanted my fellow Americans that didn't know this as well to be exposed to what I was exposed to. So I thought, hey, this is a good way to do it. Radio is awesome. Right. Talk radio is really cool. You know, that was the time of, uh, you know, a lot of conservative talk media was exploding on the scene in the 90s, uh, t- Rush Limbaugh and others. And so it was a great medium. And radio is a cool medium in the 20th century. A lot of 
uh, communication was done via radio uh, before TV. So I was drawn to the communication. I found I had a knack to communicate complex and make it simple. And so syndicated nationally for many years, eventually uh, connected with my buddy, Mike Adams, Snap from Natural News. And he was starting up a, a online kind of radio thing in natural news radio at the time. And I, I was doing it once a week all, all those years. And I felt like it wasn't enough. I had more to say, and it was just not enough time to do it once a week. And so he started this network and said, hey, why don't you anchor this thing and start up and you can do you know, five additional days of the week. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so the opportunity presented itself. And that was primarily online, although I was still in radio. And eventually, you know, doing radio and the thing called podcasting, and it just kind of grew and grew. And here I am, uh, my 24th year of broadcasting, now also, you know, on on what they call podcasting, uh, video and audio formats, and banned on YouTube and Spotify primarily. Occasionally, I've been banned on Facebook and, and Twitter and uh, LinkedIn. Right now, LinkedIn has banned me. We'll see if I get back in on that. But But on most podcast networks, they carry it now, two hours a day plus six days a week. Uh, so... I guess that's a short version. I had something I needed to say, get off my chest, and I needed to do it often. <laughs> and I'm still doing it. And apparently I haven't run out of things to say or are the people interested in hearing it. You mentioned getting banned. And I mean, I feel like this is something we're starting to see more where these large monopolized companies, you know, have the power to censor. It, mm-hmm. What do you see happening here? Like, do you see someone putting a stop to this? Do you see it continuing? Well, the, it's backfired, that's for sure, because we got banned on you know YouTube and Spotify. It was kind of a bummer, but it, it, it ended up benefiting us because people wanted to hear me more. Like, well, why did they ban him? What is he saying? I want to know. And it's like, the, you know, it's, it's so stupid because everybody knows if you censor something and ban it, people are more interested in yeah. it. So it ended up being a good PR move. Not that I, I, I'm happy for it, nor do I support censorship, but it ended up backfiring. Now, if, if they're going to shut this thing down, it's going to have to be a global EMP to wipe out the internet. And some have argued that might happen. Uh, but even then, you know, we will find ways through shortwave like it used to be and or local networks, or maybe it doesn't happen. I don't know. But in the meantime, we are encouraged and, and I encourage just as I love what you're doing to do more, to tell more stories, to share more stories. And it's not just about me. You're interviewing me. I typically interview you or others you know, about their story. Cause I love learning mm-hmm. from everybody. Yeah. It's so fascinating. So this has become a really powerful tool to uh, break the narrative of those that would control us or enslave us to a belief system that no longer serves us. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're probably all to some degree struggling through with the COVID uh, crazy that we've been through. It really accelerated a, a, a transformation in consciousness, even though it's harmed a lot of people or killed uh, many as well. Yeah. It is funny how that it backfires most of the time <laughs> and you, you've mm-hmm. seen it with, you know, a lot of personalities who this has happened to, and it's, it seems to grow their fan base even more and light, light the flame on the fire even stronger. And I do yeah. think with all the craziness that has happened in the last two to three years, you know, it is raising a level of questioning and consciousness mm-hmm. and looking at things from a different angle. Like maybe this isn't what is the right answer here that I've been told for so many years. So I think there is still good and light at the end of the tunnel and good that has come from a lot of the horrible yeah. things that have unfolded in the last well, few I, years. I have to believe that. And I've witnessed it myself. I've seen transformation in people like never before. Of course, many people we thought we had alignment with 
have have gone by the wayside because they they went fully into the fear and they embraced the fear and then they they embraced the heavy hand of government or centralized bureaucracies to dictate how we should live our lives what what we should do medically and, and restrict our freedom and that's not something I can align with. Um, I can have compassion for people in fear, but if they try to use the power and force of government to dictate to me and my family what to do, that's where we have to draw the line and right. get that testosterone up, let them know, uh-uh, that's not going to pass here. Uh, but overall, I would say more people than not have uh, found their way into the things I've been talking about for you know almost 30 years now, and I said 24 years on broadcast media, and I'm welcoming everybody in. You know, I've been the best kept secret in health talk media for a lot of years and I'm not alone anymore. And uh, it's a it's a great discovery to see that others are are embracing this and, and taking their message out to the world like this. Yeah, I see your uh, infrared in the back. Little, oh, little zip phone. up portable yeah. infrared. Those things yeah, are awesome. awesome. <laughs> well, Very good for health, especially in the winter if you're not getting exposed to sun as much. And, and of course, don't sweat as much by getting, you know, I, I'll go to work out like. Uh, today I worked out at the gym where I go, the kickboxing gym, and I couldn't even work up a sweat, even though I was working hard because it's like it was 18 degrees outside. <laughs> you know, it was warmer inside. Still, it's like you're starting from such a cold level. So for me, the far infrared and, and, and these saunas are great technology. When I can't, like I'm in the summer, I'm out in the sun and I'm sweating, I'm getting exposed to it. I don't need it as much, but I, I definitely encourage and endorse people utilizing those technologies. 100%. Absolutely. I, I, it's one of my favorite things to do, not only for recovery, just the way it makes you feel. I mean, the you know the hormones it releases and it, it is especially great in the winter months, especially great. You know, talk, a lot of people talk about like seasonal affective disorder and not seeing the sun as much. And I think it helps a, a lot of different things. What is the biggest lie that is told to us today in the health industry? <laughs> well, it was the one I discovered that you don't have the power to heal. Mm. That, that to me was everything. It, it led to everything. I was disempowered. I was told I was a victim, as I mentioned, of genes, bad genes, bad luck. And it, it took me uh, and, and created a, a scenario where I felt like I was victimized by the body I was given. I was like, sorry, bad luck. Oh, really? That's it. I'm, 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 I'm hosed. There's no hope. There's nothing I can do. Well, you can take this drug. I'm like, I did that. So for me, you know, at the end of every hour of my show, I say, well, I say the power to heal is yours. And that's a reminder to me as much as it is to anybody else, or maybe to hear it for the first time to say, really, you're connected to the source of, of all healing. I mean, the thing that gave you life is the same thing that heals you. And that wisdom is something we can access. And yeah, we can study a lot of things, whether it be officially in schools and colleges and universities, or we can study ourselves or go into contemplative, meditative, prayerful states and download it directly. However, uh, but that power that they don't want you to acknowledge and recognize is so amazing that it would preclude the need for ever poisoning your body back to health, like we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's the biggest lie that you don't have access to that healing at any moment. As long as you're still breathing, there's still opportunity. Uh, yet the belief system plays a, a large role there. That's why I say to believe that the power to heal is yours is only a starting point. Then you got you to you find out what that means for you yeah. and what you can do about it. Yeah, absolutely. What is your definition of success? Well, I kind of measure it by the vitamin L in my life. And I, L is, <laughs> is love. And uh, levity and laughter too. I mean, again, there's, there's times where you're not, you're stressed. There's things that happen in life. We're here and this is part of our experience, but, um, 
you know, for me, is there more love in my life? You know, do I have more opportunities to give and receive that? And that, you know, various different ways, obviously the way you love your family is different from a friend or otherwise, but the idea of having people that are supportive in your life, you know, to me, that's everything when it comes to success and thriving, you know, seeing somebody and just that person just brings a smile on you because you love them so much just because of who they are, what they represent. And so having people like that in your life, in addition to being that for other people, to me, I don't know how else to measure success. You know, everything else would roll from that or extend from that for me. Where can everybody find you, Robert? Uh, well, as far as the show, just come on over to robertscottbell.com. So it's just my name, robertscottbell.com. Um, there's a listen links. There's uh, archive links. You can uh, sign up for the newsletter by going there, or you can text my initials RSB to 22828. You know, just make it easy if you got a phone, 22828, and then put RSB and send it. It'll prompt you to enter your email address so you can get plugged into all the upcoming events because we do a lot of events around the country, around the world, as well as uh, the broadcast, again, two plus hours a day, six days a week. Two plus hours a day, six days a week. Getting some volume out there. We love it. That's awesome. Yeah, I just I guess it's a habit at this point. Yeah, no, it is. It is. My show's only been going on for three years, but it is a habit. It feels a part of me at That's this great. point. And, um, you know, outside of being able to spread this message and give people access to brilliant minds like yourself, it always, you know, pours into me just as much as well to open up my mind and perspective and mm-hmm. and be able to take in new information. And yeah. It is. It's so much fun. And and I think at any age, considering I was chronically ill for the first 24 years of my life, I'm still I, I kind of think I'm I'm, rever- I'm I'm living in reverse a little yeah. bit, not like a Benjamin Button thing. But, you know, it's like I got all my old age diseases out of the way first. That's right. You know, I try to look and be positive about it. And, you know, the things that I do, I continue to learn new things like, you know, I use this thing called Cardio Miracle, a beautiful formulation that facilitates nitric oxide production and reduces peroxynitrite. Same. And I'm like, Dude, I'm I'm running circles around kids in their 20s and 30s at the gym, yeah. and I'm in my 50s, and I could, you know, so it, it's not like anybody couldn't do that. But it's like I learn about these things, I tap into them, put them to the test, and I go, let me tell you about what's going on here. If I can do this, you certainly can do this. So these are the fun things we get to do as well in communicating these stories. And you know, they're not all happy stories. Certainly, a lot of stories I have to cover from people that have lost loved ones, have been harmed somehow because of big pharma, etc. Uh, but those stories also are part of our, you know, human experience here. And we can learn great compassion and we can find ways we can help others in that regard. And said, as much as I love to to laugh and be silly and, let, you know, have lightness, uh, you know, life is about a little everything. And uh, if we can ex- explore it with, I guess, that perspective that there's a purpose for everything, even sometimes we don't understand that purpose, we can get through the tougher times, you know, and be- be- begin to believe and then see that belief in action that, all the stuff that happened to me actually happened for me because mm. it led me to do what I do today and be who I am. And if not for that, then what? So is suffering all bad? No. In fact, it helped me to, again, drive me forward to do these things as it does for most. Not everybody comes out in the same way, but uh, for me, I'm grateful. And that gratitude is also another big part of, of how we continue to get the gifts that are always trying to be given unto us. But we can often miss them because we are not grateful for the little things, you know, and that leads to the gratitude for everything. Well said. Well said. I think I don't think there's a better place to close than that. Robert, thank you so much for joining the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Everybody go check out Robert. 
We will put the links in the description below as well. And thank you so much for your time today, Robert. It's been it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Mason, for having me on. And I'll remind you, like I remind my audience, that the power to heal is yours. Amen. Amen.